faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, on a cloudy Friday afternoon in October 2008. It's the fifth season of Civil War Talk Radio. And like every show in the first four seasons, even though it's coming from East Carolina, it's not speaking for East Carolina or its uh, football team, its administration, its history department, or anyone else. And our guest likewise speaks for himself. This year we will have, uh, a, we have had and will continue to have guests that I hope you find as interesting as I do in the weeks ahead uh, we'll have some more biographies of Confederate figures, Edward Johnston, Wade Hampton. Uh, we'll be talking to uh, people like uh, Edward Ayers, the president of the University of Richmond. And uh, if all goes well, we hope uh, in this season at some point to have Gary Wills, uh, author of Lincoln at Gettysburg, on the show. Uh, I had the chance to meet him and talk with him last weekend. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, in the self-promotion part of the show. A reminder, I will be at Gettysburg on November 17th and 18th at the Lincoln Forum talking about did Lincoln own slaves and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln. And you're welcome to uh, see if your questions are answered in the book of that title, now available online. And if it's not there, give me, send me an email. I'll see if I can answer questions for you that way. Also, if you want to support 
support the show, feel free to donate at civilwartr at aol.com. Many thanks to those who've done so. Uh, unlike public radio, it's not a, uh, a tax-deductible contribution. It is uh, strictly for my personal benefit. And while I will informally assure you it will not be used for anything illegal and indeed probably be used to buy Civil War-related books, uh, you just never know. So there's no, uh, no deductions for that. It's, it's just for me. Well, our subject... Uh, before we get to our subject today, I'll take just a moment to point out last weekend was the Lincoln Colloquium. We had no live show last Friday as I was uh, attending this event in Galesburg, Illinois, on the campus of Knox College, which Lincoln aficionados will, of course, recall was the site of one of the seven debates with Stephen Douglas in 1858, and this year, 2008, was the 150th anniversary, so... One way of marking that was by holding the Lincoln Colloquium, which travels from place to place uh, throughout the Midwest each year in September or October and brings together scholars to discuss historical matters. What I found fascinating uh, from the outside looking at this year's uh, event at, at the Colloquium was that there were over 300 uh, participants, pre-registered people coming to hear the lectures and of these 300, I would guess 90% were not affiliated with any university, were not professional historians, uh, but were just interested in Abraham Lincoln, interested in Stephen Douglas and the debates, interested in the, uh, the way presidential elections used to be held, uh, interested in uh, our country's history generally. And they chose to spend some money and travel to Galesburg, which is... Uh, uh, really in the, the very middle of nowhere, uh, much as, as Greenville, North Carolina is in its own way. Uh, not an easy place to get to. And on a beautiful uh, autumn afternoon, they spent an entire day listening to, uh, listening to lectures, of all things. The depth of interest in the Civil War era, in Abraham Lincoln, in, uh, in our country's past generally, really is something that I, I, I find encouraging and uh, almost humbling to, to be involved in the enterprise of helping to record that and research that and present that to the public. It's, it's not something uh, that we... Uh, 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 it's not something certainly to be taken lightly, and it, it was quite impressive to see this turnout. So, uh, with that said, uh, one... Uh, uh, one advantage uh, of what we have here is uh, uh, I, I'm distracted. I'm looking at the screen, and uh, we've got an important message that I'll relay later in the show. Uh, the the Lincoln Colloquium, uh, as I said, also served as a source for uh, for guests. I mentioned Gary Wills, who was one of the presenters there. Uh, also, uh, Matthew Pinsker, who's written a very interesting book on the uh, the Soldier's Home, uh, Lincoln's uh, summer uh, hideaway, will also be on the, the show later on. Uh, look forward to talking with Matt uh, in the in near future. But enough of uh, future talk. Let's let's get back to the past, and in particular, to uh, Major General Robert E. Rhodes, the subject of a new biography by uh, an author uh, new to our show, Daryl Collins. Daryl, are you there? 
Wonderful. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, we haven't met. I hope uh, we can informally go by first names today. Good. Uh, yeah. Please call me Jerry. Okay. Uh, well, this uh, Robert E. Rhodes is not a uh, household name. Uh, uh, Tell me a little bit about how you got interested in, in uh, Robert Rhodes, and then, then we'll talk a little bit about who he was. But, but what's your, uh, 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 what brought you to this figure? Well, you're right. He's not a very well-known figure, um, at least not to the public in general. But how I got interested in him was, uh, oh, about ten years ago, I attended a Civil War conference in Frederick, Maryland, and the keynote speaker was James Robertson, who's written what I consider to be probably the definitive biography of Stonewall Jackson, whom you mentioned earlier. And I was just fascinated with his talk, and he inspired me to try what probably is the most difficult of historical writing, in my opinion, and that's the biography. So I wanted to do a Confederate general, one who had participated in almost all the campaigns with the Army of Northern Virginia. So my initial investigation led me right to Robert Rhodes. Nothing major had been done about him, and that just amazed me. I thought, how could someone this significant not have any major work done about him? And so he just jumped out at me as the person who I had to write about. Ah, well, that, uh, uh, whether the biography is most difficult uh, or not is a very interesting, uh, interesting assertion. And I, I think, on the one hand, it does have the, uh, the advantage that your subject is so well-defined, uh, Whereas other books that are thesis-driven or event-driven or chronology-driven or narratives, uh, you don't have that that central focus that always reminds you what it is you're writing about. Yeah. So, so there might be some advantage to the biography format. But uh, you, uh, so you are not uh, from Virginia yourself. I'm originally from Michigan, uh, in the uh, Ann Arbor area, and right now I live in Colorado, about 30 miles southwest of Denver. Uh, well, I spent a, a happy seven years in Ann Arbor uh, as undergraduate and law student at U of M. University of Michigan, yeah. And uh, so what the heck has happened to the Wolverines? Uh, in my entire life, I've never seen them start like this, so I, I can't explain it. It is, it is mind-boggling to our, for our international listeners. Uh, <laughs> my alma mater has the country's most awesome football. That's American football, not uh not footy, not soccer. Uh, the 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 Wolverines have gone to a bowl game uh, every year for what twenty five, twenty six years, more than any other team in a row. They haven't had a losing record since nineteen sixty seven, and this year they are going to. They're they're they've got a new coach who ought not to be there, and uh, I could go on at length about well, that. You could always count on them winning nine, ten, eleven games a year, and this year they're as you say they're going to have a losing record. It's pretty disheartening. It, it, it's it's awfully disheartening, and uh, <laughs> and it's the style with which they do it. Uh, but I don't want to call the spread offense effeminate, but I, I don't care for it. Um, uh, but but our, we're here to talk civil war, so we'll move on. Uh, um, uh, but it's always good to to uh, to, to talk uh, Wolverine football anytime. The, uh, the so so you got interested. Uh, you said at a conference in. Virginia and Frederick, or Maryland, rather, Frederick, Maryland, and uh, came across Rhodes. Uh, so this was really just uh, just going down the roster through the order of battle and finding a general who didn't have a, a recent biography. Right, but I, I soon discovered why he didn't have a, a full-length biography, 
and that's because there's no such thing as a Rhodes collection of his papers. And that, in turn, is because his widow, in keeping with uh, custom in the Old South, she burned all of his papers shortly before her death as a way of honoring his memory. So there was no Rhodes collection to to rely on as a main source of research. And so I think that probably discouraged a lot of potential authors along the way. And so what I did was a biography is an attempt to get to know somebody. And the way you get to know somebody is go to the people who he worked with, who he lived with, who they entrusted their lives to him, their diaries, letters, memoirs. What did they say about Rhodes? They have a lot to say about the man, the soldier, the, the pre-war engineer and, and teacher, and from them I was able to build up what I think is a pretty good story about Robert Rhodes. Well, I would agree. It, it's definitely a good story and, and uh, a very interesting book that, that is worth uh, certainly worth the reader's attention. How how did you find these? What uh, what was your research strategy to find things about Rhodes, given that there's no Rhodes papers to be found anywhere? Well, you know, a strategy, again, I learned from James Robertson. He said in one of his talks, what he did was he drew up a list of uh, historical societies, various institutions. He came up with over 200 of them. And he just sent out a form letter when he was doing his biography of Jackson. He sent out a form letter asking them if they had any material, original primary material, on Jackson. And he was amazed, he said, at the response he got. And I did pretty much the same thing. I just sent out a flood of form letters all over the country, and I started getting answers about material they had maybe not written uh, uh, by Rhodes, but things that pertain to him, and I was able to gather in a lot of information in that manner. Now, while you're doing this, uh, this was a full-time occupation, or you, you had a day job to keep busy? I do have a day job. I'm what's called a behavior health counselor. I work in a, a mental health facility. It's a short-term care uh, for people who've had uh, a mental crisis of some kind, and we help to stabilize them. And I love doing that, too. So, but you were able to find time in addition to to sending out these queries. Did you travel widely to to visit these places, or mostly get stuff I, sent to you? I did. When I lived in Michigan, that was the advantage of living in Michigan. It wasn't that far for me to actually drive to, say, Virginia or even down to Alabama. Well, now I'm out in Colorado, so it'd be a more difficult prospect. But then it wasn't so bad. I mean, I would take a week or two off of work, and I would go visit various places. The uh, Military Institute in, in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, the University of Alabama, the Virginia Military Institute, because even though I got responses and even some letters in the mail, I actually wanted to see things for myself and see if perhaps there was more in there that I could dig up and, and use. And Did that, you sometimes that, find that, that? That was actually the fun part, I think, of doing the research. I, I really enjoy that. It, it is. Uh, I, I would agree with that when, when you're on the road and... Yeah. Going from one archive to the next, and, and uh, uh, it can become all-consuming, and really, uh, really is a, a fun thing to do in that yeah. sense. The uh, as listeners to the show will know, this is a, a theme I return to regularly, and I won't belabor it uh, now. But it continues to fascinate me how much good Civil War writing is being produced by people who are not full-time historians, but who are able to devote enough time and, and do it seriously enough. Uh, that they can produce uh, things like you've done here, going to archives and, and finding primary material that hasn't been used and uh, producing a biography of someone who, who has not been 
uh, much written about uh, in this case. Well, let's talk about Rhodes himself. He was, uh, you mentioned he was an engineer before the war. And uh, what what did that involve? Well, it seems like a lot of generals who, if they were not West Pointers, or even those who were, were, were also engineers. Well, as you mentioned, Rhodes attended the Virginia Military Institute. And he was such a good student there that right after graduation, he was offered uh, a job as a teaching assistant. And he fell in love with that. He wanted to be a, a teacher. That was his really lifelong ambition, was to be an instructor, preferably at VMI. Uh, what he wanted was a full professorship. And finally, when that materialized, he applied for it, but the person who eventually got it was, whom you mentioned earlier, Stonewall Jackson. So his teaching career uh, dashed for the moment. He became an engineer. That is someone who, he worked for various railroad companies, and they would survey and plot out the course of a potential railroad that was to be laid. It was a pretty hard life. He, he never really liked it that much. It was involved being outdoors all the time, and it, let, it was kind of a nomadic life. It didn't allow for much social uh, life. What he really wanted to do ultimately was to get back to being a teacher. And he finally got that appointment at VMI in late 1860, and he was told to report for the fall semester 1861, which, of course, never happened. Something got, got in the way there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that, uh, in my introduction, uh, I, I pointed out that both Rhodes and uh, Jackson were, were two Confederate major generals who were both hired to teach at VMI, so I was uh, pedantically speaking, accurate. Both were hired, although uh, only Jackson actually got to teach there. And uh, I'll point out to my alert listeners that uh, both were major generals, although Jackson went on to become a lieutenant general. Uh, so uh, strictly speaking, it was accurate to say they're both major generals, although yeah. customarily we refer to someone by his highest title. So uh, Jackson did outrank Rhodes ultimately. Um, so he didn't get to uh, to teach as he'd hoped. Uh, instead, the war intervenes. Uh, how, how did Rhodes get involved in, in the war at the beginning? Well, he was involved before the war with a local militia company called the uh, the Black Warriors. That's because of, it was associated with Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the Warrior Guards. And he was elected their captain, and he took them to uh, Richmond to be mustered or to. Montgomery to be mustered into the 5th Alabama, and he was elected their colonel. And from there, he went to Virginia, was involved in the first Manassas campaign, and shortly after that, he was promoted to brigadier general. It was in October of 1861. Uh, Was he involved at Manassas? He was involved in a little skirmish four days before. He was one of the advanced guard that was posted to watch out for the advance of the Union troops. And so he was involved in a little skirmish. His regiment did pretty well. They held back the Federals for a while, suffered a few casualties, and he withdrew. He received a lot of acclaim for that, but at the actual Battle of Manassas, he was on the right wing in Ewell's brigade, and they were held pretty much in reserve. So he missed the actual battle, which he resented tremendously because he was interested in getting as much glory as he could. I mean, he wasn't, had no shortcomings in that regard. So he wasn't actually involved in the battle, but he was on the right flank, and he saw the battlefield right after the Union troops had been routed, and he saw the carnage and uh, all that. So he had quite an initiation in his own way. In in terms of uh, his desire for glory, especially without having the 
having Rhodes' own papers uh, to go on, it, it, I imagine it must have been a challenge to figure out what, uh, what his motivations were. Uh, what we'll do now is take a short break and come back and talk about that subject. Okay. Uh, so we'll be back in just a moment uh, with our guest today, Daryl Collins. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. <laughs> 